Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 204, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Does a one-year delay in kindergarten help or hurt students? One study gives us some ideas, and can positivity actually become toxic? Stay with us. Dismiss is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, the Texas Instruments TI-84 has been the dominant graphing calculator for years. But today's guest developed a new graphing calculator that is shaking up the industry. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, director of curriculum and instruction, and class dismissed co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. <laughs> love, love to hear it. Yeah, things are uh, seem to be going pretty smooth. Actually, COVID numbers seem to be dropping a little bit in Mississippi, although they're still elevated. Uh, I think we've peaked, at least for the time being. Hopefully, it won't come back. So how are they at your school district? Uh, pretty smooth well, so far? Many of us have been in school since around the 4th or 5th of August. So this is the middle of term one. Um, You know, we're rocking and rolling with teaching and learning. We are face to face. We are on a traditional schedule and have been the entire time. And I'm just really excited about a lot of progress that we've been making. We have a long way to go, but it has been a good start to this school year. When I think about how last fall started with so much uncertainty and so many of us kind of, you know, learning how to fly the plane while flying it. And I just think we were a little bit better prepared and our district, again, I'll share, had all the protocols in place. So we haven't seen a, a huge disruption to our instruction. Um, and we're just trucking along. Well, good stuff. I'm glad to hear that. That's probably going to be all we're going to mention about COVID. I got a couple articles today that are not COVID related, so a little bit of a change of pace there. Um, <laughs> the first one is related to uh, kindergarten, and it was actually out of the Journal of Research on Educational Effectiveness. It was an article by Angela Johnson and Megan Cufield of the NWEA. Um, they are reporting on a study that they did on the impact of delaying kindergarten entry on students, you know, you kind of always have those kids of, hey, they're five, six years old, do I delay, do I hold back and maybe not put that child in kindergarten because I feel like they might be able to mature an extra year um, or so. And so they kind of were looking at those findings to see what the take was. Are you familiar with that happening a lot? Mm, not familiar with it happening a lot. And you know, I'm not a, a child psychologist, so I can't speak um, from from that perspective. But I will say that I think it depends on your state. And so in reference to like our state, um, kindergarten is not required or mandated. But 
it is a disruption um, to the learning process if a child is six or seven and entering kindergarten. They are already behind based on the state standards. And we all know our state standards were pretty much aligned to Common Core. And so the rigor is so much, you know, harder and the unpeeling of the standards is just we go so much deeper now um, in the lower grades. And I just think it it can almost set a child up for dropout or, you know, just being delayed amongst their peers. But at the same time, if a parent, you know, wants to make that choice and that decision and it's within the law, I think they should have the right. I just think that they should be informed of all of the things that could occur or impact the child entering kindergarten late. And then we have to think about all of the push for early literacy, the 4K, you know, right. courses. So why would we delay if we're trying to early. I think you see it sometimes with those kids that are born in the summer. Um, and so the parent has to decide like, all right, my child would be either a going into kindergarten as one of the younger students in the kindergarten class, or I can send them to daycare or whatever type of program you have them in for another year. And then they'll go in as one of the older kids for the class the following year. Um, I think sometimes those decisions are financially based. I think sometimes people say, well, if I go to public school and kindergarten, I no longer have to pay for expensive daycare for another year. So, you know, Very. There's just factors like that that parents have to make up their mind about. So what was interesting, go ahead. I was just thinking, but if you send your child that's born in the summer to kindergarten and you and the teacher are appropriately tracking the child, you can determine if they're having a successful year uh, socially, emotionally, and academically. Um, and, And at the end of the kindergarten year, if there is sufficient data to support the child is not ready to move on to first grade, I think, you know, then it would be better to give them a second round, maybe in kindergarten, to deepen the skill mastery, but to just hold them back and and not start, I don't know, that kind of worries me because what if even after that, then academically, they might be socially fine and mature wise, Mm -hmm. but what if academically they really struggle and then you're really looking at an at-risk situation? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, in in your idea of, you know, redoing kindergarten if needed is probably more of a prudent decision in that that scenario. Um, so what kind of came from the study was, here, here are basically their findings, and they looked at um, NWEA reading and mathematics map assessment results from hundreds of schools in three states, and, and their conclusions are this. Students who are a year older in kindergarten do significantly better on initial math and reading assessments, and their monthly growth rates during the kindergarten year are also higher than younger students. But there's more. The effects of being a year older fade in the first and the second grade with older students growing at slower rates than younger students. And then they go on to say that students' rates of growth do not differ significantly by gender or ethnicity, especially after the kindergarten year. Um, And then it says that math achievement and growth varied significantly across different schools, but with reading, there was little variation across the schools. So it sounds like you might get this boost in the kindergarten, kindergarten, but come first and second grade, things level out and you may end up having more problems from there. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's really a hard decision to make in my opinion. Um, but I just believe that no matter what you do, always do what's best for the child. 
Right. No doubt. I think it's sometimes just a hard call for, for the parents to make, you know, and, and you're right. I guess the only thing I can say that would, as a parent, make me be hesitant to send the child to kindergarten, knowing I might have to make them do kindergarten again, is that social stigma that I would worry about. Like, all right, well, everyone's going to know all, all the other parents are going to know like, Hey, is he in first grade? No, he's, we're going to do kindergarten again. You you know, that's going to probably have to come up. There's more social pressure. You know, that has happened already to other families and you have to just decide, you know, which is the worst experience thinking about all children being on grade level by third grade. And if you hold them back, put them in kindergarten, they're overage, they're already overage. You know, everybody's going, it's already going to happen when everyone else goes to kindergarten and you're not in school. So you just have to decide when you want to deal with that. And then we have to make sure, like I said, it needs to be a team approach and parents need to understand their state's requirements in regard to um, their third grade literacy uh, promotions. And that's a really big deal there. And if you don't make a certain performance level on that state assessment, you're going to be held back and there's nothing a parent could do about it. So why not, you know, take the, the, the risk or the struggle and go to kindergarten twice or start on time and put lots of supports in place than to be eight years old and know that you didn't pass third grade and everybody else is moving on. Right. No doubt. All right. So then uh, switching gears, there was another article that caught my attention uh, this morning. It was out of Ed Surge and it was kind of listed as one of their most read stories. It's titled How Toxic Positivity Demoralizes Teachers and Hurts Schools. So it's a pretty like hard hitting thing. And like toxic positivity, like that almost sounds like an, an oxymoron. Like how can positivity be toxic? Um, and then I started reading about it and it was, there were some perspectives there that I wasn't aware of. Are you familiar with this term? I am. And it's, it's a real thing. And I, is there's a lot of information going around about it, especially in my principal groups, um, where we read a lot, we share a lot of information together. And I think the biggest impact it has on teachers is when you're constantly responding with positive comments or you're trying to be optimistic, sometimes we miss the mark in actually addressing the emotions or what the teacher is dealing with. Does that make sense? You know, making comments like, oh, it'll be fine or just keep pressing on. We, you know, we'll make it happen. We've got to do it. That might be true, but taking a moment to possibly saying, well, you know what? I understand how you're feeling or where you're coming from. And that is tough to deal with. How can I help you and support you so that we can move forward? It's just that the approach. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense what you're saying. And it lines up with exactly what I'm reading. And I guess you're kind of the person that I, I think has a healthy balance of this because I know you well. And I know that um, you are a very positive person, but you're also a realist. And so you don't really like ignore like the the <laughs> elephant in the room, right? Um, no. And so reading the article, it's almost like what you just said. They said too much cheerfulness can be bad because it leaves no room for appropriate negative emotions like sadness, anxiousness, and frustration. Have you ever seen the movie Inside Out? I don't think so. Okay, so it's a Pixar movie, you know, like the creators of Toy Story and all that. And and I, I can't really do justice of explaining it too well. But essentially, like, you're inside this this child's brain and, and all the emotions of sadness and joy and disgust and, and um, being scared and so forth. Um, but throughout the entire movie, and spoiler alert, I'm going to ruin some of this for some folks out there. But throughout the movie, sadness is just like this negative character. And you're almost like frustrated with sadness. But kind of one of the lessons in the movie towards the end is how important it is it is to have sadness for your overall mental well-being. 
And, and that really is one of the main takeaways. Um, and, and it kind of, you know, does it in such a articulate and fun way. Uh, but I think this kind of is in line with that. Like you need to recognize that everything's not perfect. And if you try to act like it is, you can kind of beat down your teachers and not have an open discussion that really should happen in, in the classroom. Am I right about that? I have a few things to share on that. Number one, teachers need to see that vulnerability out of their school administrators. They need to know that you are human, Human, you struggle, you have emotions, that we actually cry. You know, at the end of the day, there's been times where I was just like, oh, I just, everything was horrible today. Or, you know, I was just taking a toll on me. They need to know that you you feel those same emotions. And I'll be very honest with you. I was speaking with a teacher yesterday. Um, and she was describing a, a situation that she's dealing with and she began to cry and she apologized for crying. And, you know, I have to tell you, until I started reading about this toxic positivity, I was. And so instead of saying, oh, it, you know, come on, be tough, it's going to be OK. I have learned over the last few years of reading about it. My response to her yesterday was. You don't need to apologize for your tears. You need to get it out so that you can address it and mm-hmm. deal with it. If you don't, then it's not going to be healthy for you. And that is from growth and understanding that everybody responds to their, you know, problems or their concerns or just everyday life differently. Um, the other thing about that is one of the things we talk about as being the most important factor in the success of a school building is having strong relationships. That's teacher-principal relationships, student-teacher relationships, and then, of course, you know, school and community um, relationships. And if people can't be themselves or express their concerns or what they're struggling with, um, they will close off to you. And so a lot of things that you're trying to implement or get buy-in on, you will struggle with that because they can't see past that you're not compassionate and that you don't have heart. Yeah, I think the the takeaway for me is just to be aware of it, like that this is a thing. Because I always think positivity is going to be better than negativity, you know, nine times out of 10. But you do need to be aware that you can be overbearing with the positivity and you can suppress important emotions that need to come up. So I guess if it's like knowing's half the battle, <laughs> really, when it comes to this for me and the idea of toxic positivity, because I didn't really know that this is a thing that, you know, I guess you could say administrators or any boss in any setting um, sometimes what- can do, you know. But it it goes twofold, though. Um, It helps us to remind teachers that, hey, children are human and they have feelings and emotions and they're dealing with things that we don't know about from their backgrounds and their home lives. And so it helps you remind teachers too, like, hey, don't forget, you know, listen to that kid, check in on that kid, find out why that kid is acting out nine times out of 10. There's some type of emotion that they have not properly dealt with. So it's just a great learning experience for all of us. Excellent. Well, I will link both of these articles that we discussed to our show notes if anyone wants to take a deeper dive. Are you ready for today's Bright Idea? I can't wait. Can you imagine if we were all using an iPhone that was designed in, say, 2015? It would feel dated and obsolete, right? So what's up with the graphing calculators our students use today? Texas Instruments, the T84 Plus was originally released in 2004. There's been some updated versions of the TI84 Plus, but a lot of those have been skin deep, you know, color screens and removable batteries. But if you hop on Amazon, the TI84 Plus CE is actually the best seller right now. Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segments is um, they're both here with NumWorks. NumWorks claim to have made a graphing calculator that makes everybody a math person and just also a, a huge advancement 
in the world of graphing calculators. Roman Goyette is the founder and creator of NumWorks, and Nick Koberstein is the NumWorks math teacher in residence. I'd like to welcome both of you to Class Dismissed. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you as well. Roman, you were once a software engineer at Apple. Is it unfair for me to question the speed in which Texas Instrument has developed their graphing calculators over the past couple decades? <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's not unfair, but um, I mean, the truth is they're kind of um, like tied, like they, ha- they kind of have their hands tied because everybody's used to their interface. So mm-hmm. essentially they don't really have an incentive to come, to come up with something newer and better. Uh, now the problem is eventually the students get to pay the price for it because they get to, to use an, a device that just seems very foreign to them. Like they don't know how to use it uh, and they don't even know how to browse the interface. And that's the problem we're trying to solve here. Got you. So I guess, was math a thing that interested you or are you more on the you know software and design and trying to find a market that needs to be disrupted? Like, why did you decide to jump in this world of graphing calculators? Oh, that, that's a very good question. So actually, I, I, I'm a math person. I, I've always loved math. And most engineers actually do enjoy math in general. Um, um, but I'm not like specifically a mass educator. Uh, I really come from the software side of things. Um, and I mean, I restarted this project on accident. Like I was uh, looking for my next venture and I, and I was walking down the ALVA supermarket and I, and I found a brand new TI-84, which was pretty much the, the exact same model that the one I bought when I was in high school, like 15 years before that. Mm-hmm. And that struck me. I was like, hey, that that's weird like the technology has evolved so much why why has why is this device identical um and i started looking into it and i figured hey that's something i'd like to build i i'd love to build a better graphing calculator um yeah but that's the story behind numworks essentially okay so nick let me ask you as a a teacher um you've kind of watched the slow evolution of the graphing calculator uh, how is what NumWorks doing make it better or easier for for students out there? Yeah, I think Roman made an excellent point. Um, it's important to recognize that the students in today's classrooms are from a technological world. You know, technology is used in all, ac- all aspects of their lives. Um, however, often there's like a divide between their real world and the math world and outdated technology only like adds to that divide. So I think that integrating devices that students are used to, like an app-based design, is just a natural way for students to engage and want to engage in the mathematics. What was broken with the the current, I don't know if you want to call it operating system or just layout of of the graphing calculator? What did you look at and say, all right, I need to fix this? So one, one very simple answer would be the user manual. Like when you buy a TI-84, it comes with a user manual that's like, 400 pages long. When you buy an iPhone, it comes with a user manual that's like two pages long. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should, that's, that's a problem in itself, right? Like, and one could argue that mass is complicated and that you need instructions, but the truth is uh, a TI manual is not about mass. It's really about learning how to handle the tool. So that's what's broken. Like a, a device today should not need a user manual. Yeah, I mean, I guess, Nick, how many of your students would you say actually open up and read the TI-84 manual? Uh, 
I think it's probably too big to open up. Uh, it's probably more of like a YouTube search for something specific, but like that is an excellent point that we absolutely spend more time in the classroom talking about how to use the technology instead of focusing on the mathematics. Um, so I definitely think that like a device where you can pick it up and figure something out on your own and maybe search one or two things as needed is going to allow you to focus more on the mathematics and less on how to use the technology. All right. So, so we're um, an audio medium here. Um, help me draw a picture for somebody just listening. Like, what does your graphing calculator look like that makes it easier to use in terms of just say, I think you have some buttons kind of at the top that are look pretty user intuitive. Oh, yeah. I mean, some some key facts, for example, like in our calculators, there's no abbreviation whatsoever, no acronym, like everything's spelled out entirely. And that seems like a very basic feature, but it turns out our competitors have very small screens and they use abbreviation all the time. So how can you possibly guess that mat means mattresses, right? Um, another Another... <laughs> Fun fact is we drew inspiration from video game consoles. So essentially the menu and the way they're structured works just like a PlayStation. So when you're a kid, well, you have like a PS5 at home or an Xbox or whatever, and you don't need a user manual for those, right? You just pick it up, start using it, and you know, I'm not even talking about the games themselves, right? I'm talking about like browsing the menus, like connecting to, to your Wi-Fi or registering or or anything essentially you know how to browse the menus and so we we copied we have like another example like on a ti84 there's an arrow like key but it's on the right and that's unheard of like today every single joypad you would buy has the arrows on the left side so that's what we did and essentially we have like a miniature joypad on the calculator and this way it feels very natural for teenagers now did you all release an app as well that's similar to the actual physical hardware calculator? Um, actually, it's not even similar. It's like the exact same copy. Like okay, we, gotcha. Yeah, like you can, you can go on the App Store, download the Numworks app, and you will have the entire thing. Like it's a full-fledged copy of our calculator that you can get for free on your phone. And it's very, very convenient for, for students. Like if, if they need to have like an, a calculator on the go, they forgot their calculator, or for whatever reason, they can just have like a free clone. Have you been able to measure if you're disrupting the market at all in any way? It's really hard to tell uh, because I mean, there's so many schools out there. So, and and we kind of have a um, how can I explain this? Like a an echo chamber problem because the teachers that know about us and that like us, they give us tons of positive feedback, but it's hard to know about the big picture. Um, okay, so w with that positive feedback, are the teachers? saying, I love this calculator, and then giving a reason? Like, is the reason because my students can actually figure out how to use it? Is, is that what you're hearing? Yeah, it's exactly what Nick said earlier. Essentially, teachers are like, well, I can finally teach and not be and not train my students to memorize like weird key sequences. I can eventually spend time on, on teaching math and not like memorizing weird com key combinations. I've got to ask less on the educational level and more on the business level. What's a win for you? I mean, is it to, you know, have somebody come along and try to buy you? Or is it just to make it to where other companies try to copy what you do? Like, where do you see the end game? Oh, that that's a very good question. I don't I don't really know. I guess the, the end game would be 
for us to break a monopoly and be like, oh, and offer everyone an alternative. And hopefully people will like our product better. But um, I guess the big problem here is that there's really just one option for kids and that's not acceptable. Um, yep, <laughs> that's what we may answer. I mean, we've seen other folks leave companies like Apple or Google or whoever and, and kind of disrupt industries that need to be disrupted. I, first comes to mind, I think the, the Nest thermostat, for example, I think was a, an original Apple employee and says, mm -hmm. you know, here's thermostats hadn't been changed in decades and I'm going to do something about it. Was that kind of your thought process when you were, um, were you looking for something or did it just kind of fall into your lap? Um, I would say a little bit, a little bit of both as in, um, I was looking for something, but I had no idea what exactly. And then it, it was very random, but it, it kind of hit me like, hey, look, that's clearly a monopoly and consumers, more specifically students, are paying full price for it. And that's not how it should be. Can you tell me a little bit background on on the company Numworks? I mean, are you guys um, a bunch of developers or like have you had to figure out how to produce this thing in mass? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So... Eventually, I mean, our, our structure is very, um, could be similar to, well, I mean, we're much smaller, obviously, but we're very similar to companies like Apple, for example. Um, we're, we're a consumer electronics company with a focus on education. So we would design everything in-house, and then we, we work with manufacturers to build the actual product to our specifications. Does it take, I'm just curious, like how many people does sure. it take to run a company uh, like this? Um, are y'all are like 30 yeah. or are you like hundreds? Well, that was pretty accurate. I mean, we're 25 actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, so we have a bunch of engineers, um, like especially on the software side, because we, we have lots of software to write and it's kind of a complicated software because we have, we're, do, we're dealing with math here. So, and there's something that's true and something that's wrong and you, you, there's no in between, right? So you have to give the correct solution all the time. Um, and we also have, a pretty large engineering department related to hardware because we have to worry about all the, the problems and all the issues you have you you run into when you're building an actual physical product. Nick, if you were pitching um, the calculator to say like a, a bunch of room full of teachers, um, and like what do you think is the hard thing to break through with them? Is it the fact that that Texas Instrument Calculator is just what they've known for decades. I, I think if I had to tell teachers something, it would it would just be that like learning a new technology can definitely see, seem overwhelming at first. And I think that like the hardest part um, of learning something new is breaking those old habits. We are so comfortable with what we grew up using um, that it seems to us to make sense to just teach these same like methods of, okay, if we want to use our calculator, here are all the steps. And it it's something we know how to do. We know how to do seven second plus seven, one, two to reset it. But th to the students, like it makes no sense. Um, and so like taking that opportunity to try something and knowing that the students are gonna be able to use it quicker um, and get back to the mathematics as the focus, I think is, is my pitch. If somebody wants to just like test this out, I mean, do you even have to purchase it or do you have some way where you can just kind of no. try it out? You go on numworks.com, you click try it out, and boom, it's right here on your on your web browser. Because we also have like a free version, just like the app. It's a, it's an exact copy of the entire calculator. You just go on our website, you click try it online, and you have the entire calculator right here. 
Awesome. That's, that's really cool. So again, that's numworks.com. Um, well, we really appreciate both of you coming on to, uh, share this, you know, I'm not in the math community embedded in there. So this was news to me that this was a a new product out there, but you guys have actually been, how long have you been selling the product? It's been like a handful of years, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's been a while. Um, I mean, initially we had to focus on Europe because that's where we started. Uh, but then we moved to the U S just about a year ago. Okay. Um, so it's brand new here. Okay, good stuff. Well, good stuff. So if anybody wants to learn more, that's numworks.com. Are you both ready for our uh, pop quiz? Oh, yes. Sure. All right, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Well, math. Right? Mathematics. <laughs> okay. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Personal finances, maybe? Uh, that's a great one, yeah. Personal finances, yeah. What does every child deserve? Uh, access to a quality education. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I, I can't top this. <laughs> What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? I would say distance learning, but... Oh, yeah. Like, today, right now, the, the change to distance. Um, but also, I think, um, just kind of keeping up. Students move so quickly. They They... Things are coming out so quickly, so just kind of keeping up with students. What's the best gift to give an educator? Coffee. Coffee gift card. (laughs) (laughs) Which teacher changed your life? Yeah, I would say my 12th grade physics teacher was uh, like a huge help. And essentially, he... He was very. He had very high expectancies from his students. It was. It was very hard to follow, but eventually, um, it helped very, very much. I'll be a little cheesy here, and I'll say it was my kindergarten teacher because she was my mother, um, and so she's been the most impactful in my entire life. And last question, and I'm curious to see what the software engineer says: pen or pencil? Uh, pencil. Oh pencil or flare pen a marker pen all right again uh the company is numworks it's the uh new look at a graphing calculator and hopefully uh, you guys will continue to disrupt the market and uh and it really catches on i feel like this is a, a much needed uh change i really appreciate you taking the time to join us on uh, class dismissed thank you for having us that's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.